Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to this new episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. I'm very pleased today to be joined by two business leaders, businesses both based in Manchester, Wayne Brophy, founder and owner of Cast UK, which is in purchasing and supply chain. Uh, Welcome, Wayne. And Ian Simkins, who is the founder and owner of Sylvan Recruitment. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much for joining me. Guys, can we start with a little bit of context for our listeners? I'd like to understand both the size of your business and also what impact your sector has had during lockdown. So, Ian, can I throw that first to you? Yeah, sure. Hi, yeah, thanks for the invite, Alison. So, we recruit into the food manufacturing sector, white collar, permanent and interim. We split around 50-50 between both permanent and interim placements. And it was quite interesting in terms of what happened at the beginning of the lockdown in that food manufacturing is quite a key sector to the UK economy. And it also has a good barometer for the feel of the nation, as well as as soon as people started stockpiling and panic buying, it was on the front pages everywhere. So the food manufacturing sector often sort of is, is the one sector where you get a sense of what the, the nation is feeling. And, and we felt that when we went into, into lockdown, there's about 20 of us in the business and sort of overnight our Food service clients, sort of hospitality, uh, coffee shops, restaurants, they understandably suffered as they were all shut. So those businesses that supplied predominantly into, into the food service sector, you know, were understandably worried and things were just put on hold as their orders well went from whatever they were to zero. And then the other side of that, that coin, which was quite interesting, is the retail food manufacturers, which obviously make up a huge proportion of the of the sector, of the food and drink sector, was quite split as some of them were experiencing demand that they only normally see at Christmas and they were getting it daily. So that, that sounds great on the face of it, but what it meant was it was all hands to the pump whilst there was a number of people self-isolating. They were that busy that there was no time to recruit. So things often got put on hold for different reasons than the food service sector fascinating because every sector is not as simple as as we think from the outside is it so definitely several stories there and how's how is trading now Ian? Yeah so things have started to even out really and we've had a number of conversations with different clients over the last couple of weeks in that what's happened is retailers order cycles have become much more consistent the food service um, outlets their orders are lower but are more consistent so it's meant manufacturers can plan their workforce a lot better and they can start to predict and forecast a lot better. It's not an exact science, but what that's meant so far as we sit here today is that a lot of the roles that were put on hold have been released because a lot of business critical 
the manufacturers, all the workers are key workers as well. So the food manufacturing sector is is trading as, as well as it can and is trying to be consistent, which is great because, you know, no one wants to see empty shelves for the reasons I've stated. And for all things considered, and, you know, let's hope that it doesn't get any worse, the, um, the sector's holding up well so far from what we see anyway. That's a good story to hear. Thank you very much, Ian. So, Wayne, over to you. From the beginning of lockdown to now, tell us how it's affected your business and sector. Well, firstly, thank you for inviting us on today, Alison. Um, it's great to be part of this. Yeah, so I think on the whole, it's been not too bad for our business. So, so we work across, well, we work across every sector, but our niche is procurement, supply chain, uh, logistics, transport is where we specialise. So some of our clients have, have literally stopped. They've, 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 they've ceased trading. They've, they've experienced um, quite a downturn in business, especially some of our engineering and automotive and aerospace uh, clients. But then the flip side of that, some of our manufacturing, especially food manufacturing clients, as Ian has already said, have, have seen unprecedented demand. And a big part of our business is, is focused around uh, logistics and, and warehousing and transport. And again, we, we, we've been really busy, especially with with clients who are predominantly e-commerce or retailers who are moving into e-commerce. We've been really, really busy in that market. And a sector that we we did a, a little bit in, which was, which was parcels and, and uh, home delivery, that sector has been really busy for us. And, you know, we, we, we've seen quite high demand during lockdown for, for that sort of sector as well. So, so, it's been, so it's been an interesting time, really. I think, you know, we are predominantly perm. So I'd say 95% of our business is, is perm. And again, during lockdown, we've seen more demand for, for interim and contracts. And we've done more kind of project type work as well for our clients where we've, we've gone and recruited, you know, 20, 30, 40 key hires for them as well, because some of our clients wanted to take advantage of the market. So with all that and um, all that going on, you know, touch wood, we've, we've been relatively OK through through lockdown, really. Um, I'm, not saying it's not, I'm not saying it's not its moments. It absolutely has had its moments. And it's been quite a stressful time. But on the whole and on reflection, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm reasonably pleased with where we are, really. OK, that's good to hear. So, Wayne, thank you. Just for our listeners' information, roughly how many heads are you now? So we're 19 heads today. We did have a, a, a few people leave our business throughout the lockdown period. But 19. OK, thank you. So, guys, you've both worked with me in the past. One of the things that I had advised a number of clients to do last year before we'd heard of COVID was actually to have a crisis plan. And all those businesses were riding high at the time, which seemed to me the ideal opportunity to go through a worst case scenario um, and create a crisis plan. Did either of you have anything like that? And, and if so, how detailed was it? Was it useful? Wayne, could you take that first? Um, yeah. I didn't have a crisis plan other than the crisis plans that I may submit for the odd tender um, that, that I kind of kind of submit. But I, 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 no, we didn't have a crisis plan as such. Yeah, we certainly not nothing wrote down in a form, formal basis. But then thinking about it, you know, could you have you know, could 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 you have a crisis plan for a global pandemic? I'm, I'm not sure, really. I'm not <laughs> so sure. it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because none of us could have really seen this coming. But some, one of the things that people I work with have found useful is to 
to draw up a financial crisis plan. In other words, if profitability or sales fall below a certain level, these are the steps we'll take. And having that discussion, as it were, in cold blood when there isn't a crisis and writing down the plan often makes things slightly easier if, you know, if and when a, a, a crisis with financial impacts happens. So, Ian, did you have any form of crisis plan like that? So, no, is the simple answer to that. There was, there was no crisis plan, really. I mean, the one thing that I've always been quite hot on and, and keen on anyway is, is making sure that we're always on point with our financials and understanding what where our costs lay and, and what we needed to do to, you know, trade profitably and grow and so on. So, you know, I suppose from a crisis plan point of view, the first thing, you know, I could look at quite quickly is what, you know, looking forward and trying to project, project forward in, in terms of worst case scenarios. But I didn't have a crisis plan for my workflow or yeah. process or anything like that at all. Because as Wayne said, you know, the last thing I expected was a global pandemic. And I often used to joke about if you ever saw people panic buying off the supermarket shelves, that there's something going on in the world. And I never thought it would ever come to fruition. And it obviously did in around March, April time this year. Yeah, and, and yeah. there were two three in there. I mean, um, we're the same, you know, do we have a formal crisis plan? No. But I also think a lot of it is common sense. And I think we just applied common sense to this is the situation from a financial point of view. You know, what's our debt days looking like? Can we reduce them? Can we get our cash in? Can we get it in as quickly as possible? Where's the risk to our business? So being, being a perm recruiter, the risk where your plan starters and your starters who had recently started, where, where the client's going to let them go yeah. to get that risk. I mean, obviously, then, you, you, you know, your, your sales planning, you know, where's your future business going to come from? And then you start looking at your people in your business as well, looking at what sort of tenure they've got, et cetera. You start just bringing all this into consideration, but then also not panicking. I think, you know, both myself and Ian, you know, we've, we've had our businesses a long time. And I think sometimes having that longevity of running a company, you know, you learn not to panic. So just taking a step back, understanding where we're up to from a, from a financial sales and, and a risk point of view, and then just taking all that in and thinking about it and not panicking when 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 possibly other businesses were panicking, I think that was a smart thing to do. And on reflection, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I didn't make major I think that's decisions. a good point, Wayne, actually, is that knowing that if you take prepare to take action, you can survive almost anything is is really important, isn't it? Whereas I, I was aware of a few people in the recruitment community who basically completely buttoned down the hatches, got lost a load of staff and essentially haven't got much to return to. And an awful lot of this, of course, affected different sectors differently as well. So there's been, for obvious reasons, continued demand in healthcare and anyone that's supplying key workers, whereas Clearly, you know, some of the some of the recruitment businesses were just unfortunate in the way this virus hit. So when it did strike, so we're going back to March now, what was the first thing that you decided to change and why, Ian? Well, the first thing was, you know, things that we had to change, which was going from being 100% office based to being 100% home based. But that was obviously just forced upon us. So that led to having to look at everything really from our processes, from our use of our technology, from looking at the just the, the, the technology stack that we were using as well and making sure we're making the most of it. So I think the first thing we changed was improving our communication internally. 
and making sure that you know we we almost became closer as a team because we were we were making the most of Zoom and Teams and having more internal meetings, albeit remotely. I think I was quite conscious that it was an unusual time for everyone, and the more you communicate, the better it, it should feel. And I think if there's one thing I look back on and that we've kept in the business now that really worked for us, that we changed pretty much immediately, it was the the number of meetings and the, the amount of internal short, sharp, snappy, not long two-hour meetings that we had where everyone understood where everyone was up to, what everyone was doing, what we were trying to get out of it. Because it actually it kept everyone sort of you know feeling part of something, which I think was really important, especially during the early days when we didn't know when this was going to end. So, for example, then, Ian, with those meetings, which I'm, I'm guessing from what you're saying were daily? Yeah. What would your focus for that agenda be to keep it short and sharp and productive? You know, some of it just was in the mornings, just first thing in the morning, just say hello to people, just because we had people that were living on their own in flats, hadn't seen another face. They were, you know, it was important that they had some face time with someone rather than just the four walls that were surrounding them. So in, in the mornings, it was often just a case of, hi, morning, how are we doing? We're all okay. Um, how are we feeling? And just that was useful. Then as the day progressed, we, and depending on the teams they were in, they'd, they'd split into smaller, more manageable process-led meetings around recruitment recruitment stuff, really, in terms of vacancies, where we were up to, where decisions were, where what clients were doing, what clients were hiring, what clients weren't hiring, what leads we were chasing up, what was happening in the marketplace, and ensuring that I think that what I realised is we'd probably missed quite a lot of stuff before this and, and and everyone was quite keen on making sure that we squeezed the pips because there wasn't as much out there and the way we could do that was by communicating as effectively as possible across the teams because we were speaking to a lot of people. So to give credit to myself, to, to Jez as well, he, he put a number of like 15-minute <laughs> meetings in which were which was almost timed. It was 15 minutes done, agenda had moved on and everyone really enjoyed it and it, and it was quite snappy. And we haven't kept all of them because we haven't needed to, but we've kept the majority. And actually, at first, some of the consultants were not as enthusiastic about some of these meetings because it was quite different. When we came out of lockdown, it was the consultants that were going, can we keep these? I like these. I get a lot out of them and it's good to keep me on my toes. So it's been quite an interesting shift and, 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 and it's been really useful, actually. Mm, okay, interesting. Thank you. So, Wayne, what was the first thing you decided to change uh, come lockdown? I mean, very, very similar to Ian, and I think most recruitment businesses probably the same. So, the whole transition of moving to working from home, and you know, people getting used to that, making sure you had the right tech and the right tech stack, and you know, communication tools, and moving to using you know Zoom or Teams pretty much on a well, two or three times on a daily basis. So, fortunately enough, our tech stack was pretty strong anyway going into this so we, we had the kit already in place so, move, so that, that, that transition of moving everyone working from home was was pretty easy and pretty seamless for us i think the the, the big thing for me really and, and it's not what what did i change it was more about what did i do and i think it was about right at the start as soon as the was moving to lockdown all my team was quite anxious about that there was lots and lots of news around this is going to affect the economy. People are going to lose their jobs. It's going to be mass unemployment. It's going to be huge redundancies. And we had seen a number of our clients cut our vacancies. We've seen a number of our clients pull offers of candidates who were due to start. And there were just lots and lots of uncertainty going on. And I think what I did right, well, what I did do right at the start was I come out and I just reassured all my team that 
I've totally got them, and I've I've, I've got the back. You know, I've, we we we're we're a fortunate we're in a fortunate situation. We have a reasonably strong balance sheet, and I just reassured everybody that we're, we're making no redundancies. Everyone's job was safe. It was nobody's doing this, and this is the situation we find ourselves in, and we're, and we're going to deal with it, and we're going to work with us, work as a team, and whatever gets thrown at us, we're going to deal with it. And I think just coming out right at the start to all of our people and just give them that reassurance, it, it, it had a massive, massive impact on people. And as Ian said, you know, we've got people who, who live on their own, who live in apartments in, in the centre of Manchester and may not necessarily have family around. And and just to have that reassurance that their employer is, is coming out from the start to say, we're here for you, we've, we've got you. Now, clearly, as, as that unfolded a little bit, the furlough scheme coming into play as well, so that kind of helped. But I, th- I just think that a consistent message right away throughout has just been, we're going to look after you. So, yeah, it's not necessarily what I've changed. I mean, I've done, we, we, do, we obviously implemented some changes, similar, very, very similar to what Ian says. I don't want to repeat that. But I just think the, just assuring your team was, was, was quite a powerful thing we did at the start. Okay, now, thank you, Wayne. So that's really interesting because some of our listeners who are business owners will be thinking, how could you say at the beginning, not knowing how long this was going to last, how could you say it's all right, your job's safe? And that was there was some risk attached there, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose maybe one of the fortunate things of having a business as long as I have is, you know, we're in a reasonably healthy cash position, we've got a strong balance sheet. You know, you talk about one of the first questions, you talk about like crisis management. I knew to the penny where we were up to from a financial point of view. I knew how long we could survive doing zero in terms of sales revenue. And I'm, I'm quite pragmatic about it. You know, the, the business is not me. It's, it's made up of everybody in the business. So it's my duty of care to make sure I look after my employees, look after the people that have actually worked work hard every day to make sure we've got a business. So... For me, it was a no-brainer. It wasn't even a second thought. It was a case of we just need to look after each other. And, and yeah, you know, if, if there was no furlough scheme and it rolled forward and I don't know, would it change? I'm not sure. I don't think it would. But, you know, that's Tel Aviv, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, lo- lots of business owners will have, of course, taken a, a bigger hit financially than, than many of their staff. And making that commitment mentally is a really important statement for yourself and for your team, definitely. So during, as we've now been in this situation for over six months, during that time, have you actually, either of you, made any changes to your customer proposition? So the actual nature of the service or the way that you deliver it to clients or candidates? Um, Wayne, first? Yes. (laughs) So I've I've actually changed loads and... This was always on our plan to do this year anyway. And actually being in lockdown and having some time away, well, kind of time, time away from the business to, to really think about it actually actually helped. So I updated all of our product set that we sell, um, we sell to our clients. I changed all of our pricing structure. We launched, we launched a new... But without going into anything sensitive, just broadly, how, how did you change pricing structure? I think the way a recruitment business is price their work is, is, is out of date. You know, recruitment businesses traditionally charge more for someone being on a higher salary than than, than someone on a lesser salary, and, but the, the amount of work they put into it is, is typically the same. So I, I just turned that on its head a little bit and thought, well, how, how can we empower our customers to, to to want to work with us? And and actually, we we do quite a lot of productizations. We sell 
different solution sets to our clients and we wanted them to value the solution set we were selling. In a nutshell, you know, if you want a cheap and cheerful service, then you pay a lesser fee. And if you want a more in-depth recruitment service, then you you pay more. And and our clients totally get that and it it kind of works. On top of that, I also changed the way that our clients can pay us. So we increased our our options in terms of spreading payments. Clearly, we we still allow our clients to pay us um, in full, of course, but we never allow our clients to spread spread payments, whether it's three months, six months or, or 12 months as well. And that's been really, really well received. So, so just doing some, some, you know, some, something creative there has, has really, really helped. We launched a new brand, which was Outplacement Services, which was a training brand specifically to help anybody being made redundant, whether that be a, an employee and being made redundant or an actual business letting people go within their, within their company. And that's been reasonably well received. I, I was expecting it to be to have more demand. But, but still, that, that, I think that was a success for us. That's a really positive step, though, isn't it? Because there are clients going through all sorts of, they're all at different stages on that cycle and may well have to let people with one group of skills go. So it's, it's a, a fabulous thing when you can still be a supporter of your client in those circumstances. So I've often thought that recruitment businesses have a lot of self-limiting beliefs, you know, that they... They think, well, recruitment is what I do, and I can only deliver in this pricing model, i.e. percentage of salary, for example. When actually, if you take a different view of yourself and say, how can I support my client in terms of achieving their business goal in a way that's within my capability, then it takes you down paths like outplacement, doesn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. And more inventive pricing propositions. So it's fascinating. Um was there anything, uh, any other changes there, Wayne, or before I flip to Ian? Yeah, I mean, and, and then I suppose the other thing we were doing, again, we, we've been working on this for, for quite some time. So, again, it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction just based on lockdown. It was always planning on doing this. And, in fact, we have been doing it for a, a good 18 months, maybe two years. But, basically, we productized our uh, talent acquisition offering. We call it um, the talent team. So, where we act as the external, internal recruitment team for our clients. But what's been interesting on that is, as part of that proposition, is we offer like project recruitment and turnkey recruitment solutions. And a number of our clients want to brought forward the recruitment themselves or, or recruitment projects because they wanted to take advantage of the market. And also then we've seen clients, as, as Ian has already said, who have seen unprecedented demand. You know, these are e-commerce clients or food clients where they wanted to batch and manage, manage their recruitment as a project so our talent team offering has been really powerful for that and again we priced it in a way which is really easy really simple and we took the notion of we want to be a business that we are easy to do business with you know we don't want to put any barriers in in the way for our clients to work with us so we just made it really simple our marketing range has been really simple and then onboarding new clients has been really simple as well and again that's just it's just worked really really well and i think has on reflection been one of the high points of, of working in a in a difficult trading environment that's fascinating. So lots of innovations there. Ian, a bit hard to follow on this one, but how have you changed your customer proposition, if at all? Yeah, I was going to say follow on. So I suppose it'd be a bit boring if I agreed with Wayne and all of this. So I suppose I looked at it slightly differently in the there's a few areas that I was keen for us to to look at in terms of, first of all, internally, I wanted to make sure that we were best in class across our processes 
across our service level, looking under the bonnet from every point of view, the emails that went out to clients, the quality of the CVs, the communication, the pace, the timeframes, and just making sure that, you know, the market was what it was. So could we get more out of less? Could we have a larger market share? Could we improve our market share because of how good we were? And it was a brilliant opportunity to really look under the bonnet. And it was, on the one hand, quite scary because we found out things that we probably knew, but we closed our eyes to. But on the other hand, it was quite exciting and the team embraced it fully and and it made a real difference in terms of our client attraction, retention, turnaround in jobs. So I made sure we started looking at things in a lot more detail around our efficiency, our turnaround time from vacancy take on to offer, our number of CVs going out to interview to to offer all stuff that's just good recruitment practice that you know I was taught in the 90s that sometimes gets lost you know over time so I was quite keen really to make sure that I suppose unlike Wayne that did a lot of really good stuff in terms of innovation I wanted to make sure what we already had was 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 brilliant so we did a hell of a lot of work on that so I know Ian that listeners are going to be wondering like what what did he find when he got his head under the bonnet so would you be able to to give us just an example of something that you know would have been easy to assume was working well that you found wasn't yeah so some of it is just dead simple things just getting the level of commitment from clients when you're taking roles on and just really tying down a process that doesn't drag on for a long time and reworking jobs that really you weren't going to fill and and also not giving the client the right advice sometimes and that almost saying yes to everything because we were too eager to please as opposed to sometimes saying actually this role is difficult for these reasons or maybe have you considered looking at someone from this area or the salary needs to be less than this or more than that or actually you need to look at this a different way or we know from experience of working with x y and z that we need we need to search this there's only a handful of these people with these skills in the uk and so i think we got too used to saying yes to everything and sometimes the brave decision and saying no or or maybe consulting is the right thing to do. And by doing that, we found we got a hell of a lot more buy-in from clients, buy-in from consultants, and we were getting more for our efforts and clients were getting the best out of us. That is fascinating because I, I, I work with a lot of business owners who I think possibly assuming that their staff do something to a certain standard or do that every time. And in reality, they find that they only do it some of the time, or as you say, they're so thrilled that someone said, yes, you can work my job, that they skip off without doing any kind of downstreaming process, because that feels almost like a microaggression to ask a client to make a, a commitment of their diary time, for example, or a commitment to re, you know, review CVs. Is that the kind of thing you need? Exactly, yeah. Just, just, I mean, and we use the opportunity with you know, everyone becoming a lot more familiar with video to to just do some stuff around putting dates in eyes for video calls to chase things through to look at cvs and and actually i suppose it's been you know brilliant at the basics is the way i wanted us to get back to which has always been sort of the way i was brought up and it, it gave a real opportunity to, to do that and my mantra through the whole of it was yeah there's going to be less there but can we get more from less and can we really increase our market share by even if we don't fill roles every client goes away going and but you know what Sylvan did a great job there their communication was on point their information was on point their 
the extra knowledge they brought to the table was exactly what I was looking for. And it wasn't filling the job because I'm a great believer in that a lot of recruiters think that if you fill the job, you've done a good job. And, and I don't think that's the case. I don't think filling the job means you've done a good job. I think it's how you communicate, how good your process is, how good your knowledge build is to the client is, is dependent on whether you've done a good job or not. I, I couldn't agree more with you. And it's the difference, isn't it, between a recruiter who sees themselves and acts as merely a purveyor of CVs, who kind of expects the CV to do the job for them, and a recruiter who actually consults, as you say. So fascinating. Now, you, you've just highlighted something that has been, I think, universally more successful during lockdown, and that is the use of, for obvious reasons, video interviewing platforms. So, Many of us have been trying desperately to get clients to adopt this for a long time. Fortunately, the lockdown did it for us to some extent. Have you found that to be the case? And is there anything else that's become more successful during lockdown? So, Ian, back to you on this one. Yeah, so I suppose we were quite fortunate, and I know Wayne was in a similar boat as well. As we'd been using video technology and yeah, white labeled one of the products out there as Sylvan Screen for a few years. So our consultants were quite used to selling it as a service as, as, and as an option. And actually, because we'd been doing it for a while, and some clients had, had used it for you know a year or two with us already, it was quite a seamless transition. And it wasn't, we didn't have to sell it internally. Clients were starting to get on board with it. And all it meant was there was, there's multiple platforms now. And so if anything, it was a case of what, what do you want to use? Do you want to use Zoom, Teams, Google Hangout, Sylvan Screen? And then it was just more, which one do you want to use more, rather than why am I using it? And we're still finding it now. So for instance, we, we've, in the last couple of weeks, we've managed to get through a whole process pretty much on video interviewing. And actually, this to this week, we should have the end of a process that will have been all done on video interviewing, which is probably the first time that's happened, whereas normally they'd have at least one face-to-face. So it's really made a big impact, and it's here to stay. It, it, and, and I think it's great because it's making the process a lot quicker. You still get the face-to-face time. Yeah, it's not as good, I don't think, as seeing the white someone's eyes opposite a table, but it's as near as damn it. And anything that can help, clients, candidates, the economy to move things on quicker. I'm all for it. I I think it's it's been brilliant and I'm sure it will continue. Okay, thank you. So, Wayne, I know you were also a very active user of video interviewing platforms. Was there anything else that has become more successful for you during lockdown that we haven't already mentioned? I I think both myself and Ian were were quite early adopters of of video. We're coming up to almost three years of of having a, a video platform. So it's, it's, it's second nature for us in, in our business. I think what, one thing that we did, and it's not necessarily tech as such, again, very similar to Ian, we assumed that the market was going to be, be a bit quieter. It's going to be less out there. Clearly, there's lots of people on there on furlough and the social channels were a lot quieter. So we decided to actually, rather than be quiet, is actually shout out more. So we turned up our marketing. And we turned up in, in quite a big way. Our marketing spend pretty much doubled, if not if not more than doubled, um, during lockdown and still is today and we decided to again similar to what Ian what Ian's talked about there was really talk to our to our market about that we're here we're here to help we're here to support whether we're supporting in recruitment campaigns whether we're supporting from so sometimes 
just being there to listen or whether we're supported through our outplacement services program that we were running. But we, we really wanted to turn that up. And again, some of our some of our customers that we were working with and still working with today are, are key worker customers. And we really wanted to get get behind that as well. And we did a we did a campaign with the NHS actually and provided a number of people into the NHS working on the Nightingale hospitals and we literally did that at cost because we thought it was the right thing to do. And we just wanted to, to really be there for, for the market and we wanted to, to talk about it. And why do we do that? Well, a couple of reasons. One, because it's the right thing to do. And I think you should always do the right thing. And But, but secondly, maybe from a more, more of a commercial point of view, is I believe we, well, hopefully we will get a bit more market share on the back of this. And, and I think hopefully our, our market will remember us as doing the right thing by him and when all this is, has blown over and the world does get back to some sort of normality, I'm hoping that our business will be that ever so slightly a bit stronger than what it was going into it. Mm, absolutely. So just on marketing, did you use new channels or were you doing anything different or you just doing more of, apart from leaving aside your NHS experience, were you marketing through different channels? No, we weren't mapped through different channels. It's the same channels as, as you'd expect any recruitment business to use. So, you know, your social channels and email marketing, et cetera. I just think our, our, our tone of voice and our message that we're putting out was just slightly different. Rather than just saying we're a recruiter buying from us, we were actually putting out some really useful content that people could, could use to help them find a job, help them improve their own social brands or personal brands. We're putting out content there to help businesses to, to get the head around how to manage remote working and remote workers and how to manage onboarding of people on a, on a, on a remote basis. We put lots and lots of content out there, just basically useful guides because we were looking at that anyway in our own business and we were writing these sort of guides up and we thought, well, actually, that's going to be really useful for our clients and our potential clients as well as our as well as well our candidates. So we just thought it was a smart thing to do and and. I think in most cases, it was quite well received. Excellent. Okay. Fascinating. And again, it comes back to this point of, as you say, not just I'm a recruiter, buy from me, but considering every recruitment business has clients who have their own KPIs and, you know, filling headcount just isn't one of them. <laughs> so discovering what, what they're actually aiming to achieve and supporting that is is a a much more profitable and positive conversation very often, isn't it? Okay, our listeners will be thinking, gosh, these guys are geniuses. You know, they've adapted so well. And <laughs> Was there anything that you tried or considered that really didn't work and that you had to throw out because it, it didn't seem to work at all? If I pick that up first, that's a really difficult question because I think we, there probably is, and our staff, if they listen to this, are probably thinking, yeah, Ian, when you tried this, that didn't work, did it? And you tend to try and put it to the back of your mind. I think it wasn't a case of things not working. I think it was just a case of adapting as you went along. And as we were in a unique situation that a lot of us lent on each other as well as other business owners. And I think that was quite useful in that listening to what other owners had done and sometimes learning from their experiences and where they could say, I've tried this and actually I wouldn't give that a go or, or I'm doing, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm, I'm talking you know, extremes here. I'm furling all my staff to I'm not furling any, anybody to I'm not paying any commission for six months to I'm paying all my commission. And just getting a feel from different business owners of recruitment businesses was really useful in terms of trying and considering things yourself. And I think the key to it for me was nothing was forever and letting people know that we might make a decision on a Monday and I might change my mind by Tuesday if it's not working. Or if 
I think maybe initially, if there's one thing I'd probably look back and I wouldn't do again, was I looked too quickly at everybody's inputs and just thought that meant that if we kept running at a brick wall that was still there, we'd get more results. Whereas actually, I realised quite quickly that we needed to be a bit cleverer than just doing more of the same. And I think in hindsight, doing more of the same wasn't necessarily the right thing to do right at the beginning. Yeah, that's a really good point, Ian, I think, that, you know, with if you look at, as you say, your your sales activity, the totality of your recruitment activity, there's quality and there's quantity and there's direction, isn't there? And I'm aware of lots of businesses where they just picked up the quantity aspect. And actually, if you're doing the wrong thing, you're just exhausting people and you're not going to get more results. So thank you. Fascinating there. Wayne, from your point of view, was there anything that you tried or considered that didn't work? Very similar to Ian, really. There's not one thing that kind of sticks in my mind where I go, God, I'm in an absolute pig's ear of that. Because I think both me and Ian, we're quite fortunate. We're in a quite a large network with other recruitment businesses. So we've got a really good sounding board. So maybe some of our crazy ideas that we might have put into the business without that network, we had, we, had, we had a good sounding board to kind of go to the other CEOs of other recruitment businesses and say, look, this is what I'm thinking. What, what's your thoughts? And, and having that was good. And also vice versa and, and hearing lots of different opinions before you actually made a decision. So I think by having that, it kind of mitigated us doing anything anything too stupid, really. I think if, if there was just one thing, and I think this is still it's still a thing that's kicking around a bit. Oh, well, should I say kicking around a bit? I think kicking around a bit in other recruitment businesses, but I think I'm quite comfortable where I am today. Because this is the, is the whole notion of working from home and whether recruitment business owners are going to allow that to happen or not allow that to happen and how's what's the mechanics of it, etc. So I took a quite a pragmatic view on it and gone, well, actually... I think it's here to stay. I think when people want want to work from home now, not all the time, not full time, but they do help. They want some flexibility. And maybe one thing that I did do, which I did change very, very quickly, is I came out and said, if you want to work from home, you can. Whenever you want, just let us know and you can kind of work from home and just kind of do that. But within a few days of actually saying that and thinking it through in a, in a bit more detail, that would have been really difficult for us to manage because we've had some people in the office, some people at home, just tracking that. And so we actually scrapped that and I, and I, I backtracked to what I said. I then went back to the team and said, we're going to put a bit more structure in place and we're going to work from home two days a week and in the office three days a week. So we now today do Monday in the office, Tuesday at home, Wednesday in the office, Thursday home, Friday in the office. And actually... That's been really, really, really well received. My team absolutely love it. The days that people are working from home, they have the option to come into the office if they so wish. They don't have to work from home if they haven't got the facilities or don't want to. The office is open five days a week. But equally, there's no pressure from people who actually do want to work from home to go and work from home. And that's been really, really well received. And I took away all the barriers. So I know some recruitment businesses only allow people to work from home if they don't target or on year to day or done with the KPIs or whatever. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to trust my people because they've been cool with me and I'm going to empower them to do the right thing. So having a bit more structure, a bit more formality, they know where, they know when they're going to work from home, what days it's going to look like. We know from a, from a senior leadership team when those days are going to be so we can manage that accordingly. As Ian's already said, we've adopted exactly the same. We have you know, twice daily um, uh, video calls when, when people are working from home and the communication is really strong and we have internal chat functions and all that sort of good stuff. But, that, but that's 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 something where I did make a mistake, backtrack really quickly, but now I've, I think I'm quite comfortable with it. 
Okay, excellent. Thank you for that, Wayne. Right, so final question. It's a quick fire one. Of all the sort of changes that you can think of that have happened over the last six months, and we've discussed several of them there, if I asked you to pick one that you hope will last and will be good for you and your business and the industry altogether, what would your one thing be? Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) Our change of products and our change of pricing has been so well received. So, and I'll put this into some sort of context for you. We have managed to increase our average fee and increase our average margin during lockdown. And I'm quite pleased on that because so for the last God knows how many years, year on year, our average fee, our average margin has been coming down as you've got more pressure within the marketplace. But we've gone the opposite. So being a bit a bit smarter with our pricing and a, and a bit smarter with our value proposition with our products, we have managed to increase average fee and average margin. We've also as well, we are more than 50% of our business now that we work is on a retained basis. So much like Ian, where he really looked at his processes and he wanted best in class across the piece, we took a very similar similar approach to that as well. And during lockdown, we would only work an assignment if it was confirmed and committed. So the tight-picking assignments, we just, we just got rid of them. Now, that's not stuck completely because we do have legacy clients where we will, we will work contingent business with them. But in the main, we are only working on confirmed and committed business today, which is, in essence, for our listeners, I suppose, a retained service. That's, oh, that's fantastic. So congratulations. And I really do hope for the sake of the industry as a whole, actually, that that is a, a trend that may pick up. Ian, over to you. So one thing that you hope will last? For me, what I hope lasts is that the recruitment industry is valued as highly as I believe it should be. As you know, I think the industry done well has a huge part to pay to the, to the UK economy, to business in general. And I think for that to happen, the level of service that all of us have to provide has to uh, maintain where it's got to and even increase. So for me, the one thing I want to see continue is that the quality of recruiters and recruitment businesses improves and improves and improves. So the businesses get the most out of us because I know from my personal experience that it's improving our service levels, improving our communication, improving our quality has led to much better results for us. We were ahead of budget year to date from our January budget. Our quarter three will be our strongest one. September's our biggest month. And it's not based on running against a brick wall a thousand times, finding the same people. It's to do with quality of service. So for me, the one thing I would like to change is the recruitment industry being viewed as highly as it should be when it's done properly. And I think that's the important bit, when it's done properly and the service level is done to the best it can be because you know, the recruitment industry can take a kicking and I think it takes a kicking because a very small minority give the rest of the good recruitment businesses and, and good recruiters a bad name. And I'd like that to hopefully be in the past. That's a really powerful point to end on. Fantastic. Thank you for that. It would be nice to imagine that at some point recruiters will be regarded as key workers, wouldn't it? So thank you, Ian and Wayne, very much for sharing your experiences during lockdown. I'm sure our listeners will have found that fascinating. And anyone who'd like to have a conversation with Wayne about a career at Cast UK can contact him on Wayne Brophy at castuk.com. And anyone who'd like to discuss a career at Sylvan Recruitment should contact Ian on Ian. What's your email address, please? Ian.Simkins at sylvan.co.uk. 
Great. And if you are a business leader who's interested in talking to me about how you can grow a profitable business in all sorts of market environments and how a strategic advisor can help you, uh, then it's alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk. Thank you very much indeed to my guests and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.